If you're looking for a new podcast to try, how about Planet Money? One thing people say about Planet Money is how much they love listening to it, even though they don't care about business or economics. It's just a smart show with great stories that help explain your world. Find Planet Money on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's show is brought to you by MParticle. It's the only consumer data platform built for omni-channel experiences. Did you know the average American owns four digital devices? In a typical day, I use six or seven devices. I use a watch, an iPhone, I use AirPods. I sound like an Apple person, but I use a lot of devices. I use a Google Home, I use an Amazon Echo, I use my televisions. But when I use a product like Spotify or Airbnb, I expect it to know what I need. Those are just two of the world's most innovative brands that use MParticle to unify lots of customer data into a single source of truth. Then MParticle seamlessly delivers that data to any marketing or analytics platform without any additional work. Visit mparticle.com to learn how your business can improve customer experiences and accelerate growth. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today, we're going to play an interview I did at the 2017 Vanity Fair New Establishment Summit. I spoke to Shonda Rhimes, the superstar TV producer who created Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, and How to Get Away with Murder. Earlier this year, she signed a multi-year development deal to make new original series and other things exclusively for Netflix. And she's also starting another website. Let's take a listen. All right. I want to start, first of all, I have to ask you about Netflix because I'm the geek person from Silicon Valley. So can you sort of give me an idea, just a little bit of what you're thinking is it right now? And I know you can't talk about what you're going to make, mm-hmm. but let's talk about why you decided to do it. You know, I love the idea that you can put out something and it can be all over the world in an instant mm-hmm. um, instead of waiting for platform after platform after platform. I also love the creative freedom that's available there. There's no restrictions. There's no broadcast centers and practices. There's no, it has to be this long. Mm-hmm. You know, I can make something that's an hour and a half long. I can make something that's 15 minutes long. Right. There's no, you can, do, you know, we want to see more of this because that's what you've done before. Mm-hmm. It's an open road. So you, you felt formulaic in, in that form? So 42 minutes, that's it. Sean, do you have to write that? Well, it's not that I felt formulaic. That is what network television is. A drama is 42 minutes and 19 seconds. A comedy is 22 minutes and whatever. Mm-hmm. And that is what you have to stay in. There's no way of getting out of that because they, that is how it works. Right. So you, had you watched people like, say, Jill Soloway and others do this? Or had you thought of it for a while? Or did you want a next chapter? Or what was the, because you were 15 years at ABC, mm-hmm. enormously successful, could go on and on and do this right. over and over again. So what was, what was the thinking as a creator? Because I think when people like you do that, it makes a great deal of difference to others. Well, it wasn't just as a creator. You know, I have a company, mm-hmm. and I wanted to pick my company up and take it someplace else. You know, I right. took 30 people with me. Mm-hmm. But it's also not like we left it behind. I have six shows right. happening over at ABC. It really was about doing something new and trying something new. After being someplace for 15 years, I reached a point where, and I really do love what I'm doing. It's, it's actually very fun. Network television can be very fun. It was that I could solve lots of problems in my sleep. Like mm-hmm. there was nothing new 
in the terms challenge. of the challenges. Right. And I thought, you know, when you reach that point where you're very comfortable, you're that comfortable, mm -hmm. it's time to try something new. So what are you scared of in this environment? I'm not scared of anything. All right. What do you worry? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's the wrong word. Um, what do you think about what you can do here? In that, is it is it a time-based thing? It's the like I, I'm guessing you wake up every morning before and it's like ratings and and this is what you focus on or time. What are you most interested in this genre to do? The, is it the time difference? Is it the way you can express it? I think it's the doing whatever I want. Right. Okay. I mean, truly. Right. I mean, I never worried about ratings before. I right. don't have to worry about them now. Mm -hmm. I never worried about that sort of thing. It's this, it's the, literally the idea that there's a totally open road there mm -hmm. that Ted has provided and an absolutely clear landscape to do whatever I want. Right, right. They're very excited to, to go where I want to go. And they're like, where do you want to go? Mm -hmm. So that's wonderful. So where do you want to go? <laughs> that is a spoiler. All right. I, I, I think that's a television term, but if you could help yes. me with that, I would like you to say it. <laughs> I don't want to say because that sort of is not something. That's in the future. In the future. All right. Let's discussed. then talk about narrative storytelling and how yes. it works. So what do you think has changed in this era? People are uh, being, you know, you have kids, I have teens. They're watching in different ways. They're thinking in different ways. They, even their brains are shifting into different ways of understanding storytelling. What do you imagine is happening right now in storytelling? Or does it stay, I just interviewed Eileen Chaikin and she's like, it stays the same. A story is a story is a story. I think that's true. I do think story is a story is a story. I think the delivery and how fast you can get it is something. You know, mm -hmm. my 15 year old threw open the door the other day to my room and screamed, Freaks and Geeks only has one season. Can they make another one? <laughs> and I sort of tried to explain to her that it happened a long time ago. Right, right. And she didn't understand that because it felt very relevant to her. It's the same kind of story she'd been watching. Right. And she loved it. So it's not that the stories are becoming very different. Mm -hmm. It's that she can watch all the episodes at once. Mm -hmm. It's that she can watch them all on her iPad when I think she's supposed to be studying. Right. It's that you know, she would watch them on her phone if she wanted to. Everything's available to you now. Right. And that is what's different. So do you like that? Do you, as a creator, like the binging? I love it. You love. What do you binge on? I binged, I binge pretty much everything. If I'm watching something, I'm binging it. So I binged The Good Place recently. Mm-hmm. Um, Handmaid's Tale. You obviously. binged The Handmaid's Tale? I did. That is I tough. I did. It was Without tough. Without a lot of drinking, but go ahead. <laughs> I did. I binged it. It was tough, but I, I did it because I couldn't wait to see what was going to happen, and right. it was too stressful to not know. Mm -hmm. Although I did turn it off when I got like really freaked out and stressed, yeah. and then I like jumped ahead. Mm -hmm. um, pretty much everything I watch, I'm binging. Mm -hmm. So, and you like thinking of creating in that zone. It's not that I like thinking of creating that zone. I discovered we were already in that zone mm -hmm. because. Every 12-year-old I know has seen 300 episodes of Grey's Anatomy in a row. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, they're already binging this stuff. Right, right. And it's, it's like getting to read a really good book and not having to wait for the end to come. All right. So when you're thinking about creating in this environment, you have mm -hmm. a team around you. Yes. I, I mean, a lot of, you've got one of those names that is just a single name, like Shonda, essentially. And you called your site Shonda. You do. Don't make a face. It's true. <laughs> it's not true. like Cher. No. It's not, it's, you know. It's not. not share yet, but it's on that avenue. There's no sequence. Um, there's, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but you, people think of you as a, as a singular creator. Talk a little bit about the idea of team, because we talked about it earlier. Is how do you create a team now in this environment when you're creating as a, as a, in an entertainment context? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very interesting, because people think 
maybe not in the industry, but people really do seem to believe that you do everything yourself. And there's no way I could do everything myself. I would be dead. Mm -hmm. That's impossible. But it is about, you know, I pulled together, you know, a wonderful head of production and a wonderful head of, you know, PR and marketing. And I have Betsy Beers, who's my producing partner for the television mm -hmm. shows. And I have a great development department. Mm -hmm. And then it's about we raise our writers. You know, Pete Nowak, who created How to Get Away with Murder, started out as a baby writer. Paul Davies, who's created our new show, For the People, started out as a baby writer on Scandal. So we, Krista Vernoff, who is running the, room, running the show now on Grey's Anatomy, started out as a baby writer on Grey's Anatomy. We love the expression baby writer. Well, they're brand new writers. They've right, never yeah. been anywhere. Right. And so the, these people are sort of in-house people that have come up through there. Some of them have worked for us for the entire length of the shows, 12 years, mm -hmm. and aren't interested in going anywhere else because there's a way that we do things um, that doesn't necessarily correlate with the way the outside world does things, I guess. I don't right. know, I've never worked on anybody else's shows. But it is a nice way of doing things. Make, giving people a home and then giving them a chance to make their own stuff is very important to me. Do you have to manage that differently now? Do you imagine, or do you, have you changed in the way you think about it? I've only changed in the way that I in the sense that I know how important it is to make sure that when you put stuff out there, everybody, it has your name on it. Right. And if it does not work, you know, you will, everybody blames you. And if it does work, everybody says you get the credit. And so to me, it's about making sure that somebody else gets the credit they deserve mm -hmm. and making sure that it's good because no matter what, they're still going to blame me. What kind of mentality are you looking for in writers and create all kinds, not just writers, but designers. The, the, there's so much I, that goes into it. I like people with their own opinions and I like people who argue with me. Mm -hmm. It's very exhausting to be in a room full of people who just nod and smile right. or agree with you, whatever you say. It's important to have people who are absolutely willing to say you're wrong or who have a totally different perspective than you do on everything. Fresh ideas are hard to come by and good ones are even harder. Right. And so to me, if you can have a fresh idea, if you can have a totally different perspective on something, that is interesting to me. How do you manifest that? Because I find it interesting because I, I deal with a lot of people who get essentially licked up and down all day and they enjoy it. Um, so. <laughs> They That's do. a whole other problem, yeah. The only reason I know this is because they're like, always, Carrie, you're so mean. And I'm like, really, I'm not. Yeah. You just get licked up and down all day. So you would assume anyone that questions you. How do you, get, how, what do you, how do, you do that as a manager? <laughs> Sorry. Um, it was an aside. I, really, I think really because it's the environment we look for. I don't hire anybody who in an interview mm -hmm. can't tell me what they think is wrong with the shows or wrong with how we're doing things. Mm -hmm. If you can't tell me in an interview what you think is wrong, and I know that that's not an easy thing to do, but if you can't tell me there, then you're not, you're not even gonna get to the second phase of things. Do they have to think, do you feel like you have to hire people that understand sort of a digital storytelling way or the way it's, stories are being told? Because there is a traditional kind of mentality of writing or creating. I don't think that people are thinking like that in okay. terms of storytelling. I think that storytelling has evolved so much that you know the generation of writers that come into my offices are already they already think in a much faster, much different way. It's mm -hmm. not, and I don't necessarily call it a digital way or a non-digital way. They just have a shorter, faster attention span or something that goes to how they tell story. In that it has to be quicker or not necessarily? I don't know. You know, we, on Scandal, we told things at a breakneck pace. And yes, that I was noticed great. That. I and we loved it. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think that all story has to be told that way. There's a lot of great story that's happening on streaming that is told in very slow paces that is beautiful. Mm -hmm. So it's just about frankly, opening your mind to what... Network television has rules that feel like they are, they've been embedded in things. You have to have act breaks, and they have to feel like this, and at this moment, this has to happen. And to me, it's just about people who aren't interested in the rules. Mm -hmm.
We're going to take a quick break now from a word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a minute with Shonda Rhimes. Today's show is brought to you by Audible, which is an unmatched selection of audiobooks. Millions of Audible members access performances by A-list celebs and amazing narrators. I'm listening to Al Franken's Giant of the Senate right now. It's very funny. In addition to audiobooks, there are so many Audible exclusives and original audio shows. Try it on your commute and ride with Audible. Start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Just go to audible.com slash D-E-C-O-D-E. That's audible.com slash decode. This episode is brought to you by MParticle, the customer data platform for every screen. And I'm here with co-founder and CEO Michael Katz. We know that uh, people are using mobile to research and transact more than ever before, which we've talked about. What's the future of mobile commerce and how does MParticle help its retailer customers like Overstock, Lily Pulitzer, and Jet.com? So the classic notion of a person moving through the funnel is fundamentally broken. Mm -hmm. People may start researching a company's product on their laptop, subscribe to that brand's email newsletter a few days later, get an email which they open on their phone, download the app and complete the purchase. You know, so right there, just trying to map the customer journey, you need to capture data from four or five systems. So brands need to create consistent and personalized experiences across all these devices and systems. And so it starts with having a data platform that was built to ingest data from anywhere, Mm -hmm. create a unified view of the customer, and then in real time, sync that data out to all the various marketing and analytics tools that the company may use in order to create these experiences. So people are doing very different things all the time. Absolutely. Dynamic as they are using all these devices. For sure. Thank you, Mike Katz of MParticle. Where can we learn more about what you're doing? Go to www.mparticle.com or follow us on Twitter at mparticles with an S. Ah, thank you so much. Thanks. Now back to my interview with Shonda Rhimes at the Vanity Fair New Establishment Summit. How do you look at all these tech companies? Now, Netflix sort of is the most uh, normal of, mm-hmm. of the tech companies, but a couple of years ago, the head of Time Warner was calling it, it's like going to Lithuania, or I forget what country he was <laughs> insulting. But there was a lot of disdain for the concept of tech companies getting into this. I assume they all wanted you to sign with them or do different deals and things like that. Did you talk to others? I knew what I was looking for when I started. Okay. And I went to what I was looking for. So you sought them out in that way? or did you? Um, it was mutual, but I knew exactly what I was looking for, and I knew what I wanted, and I knew where I was going when I started. What do you think of all the others pursuing that? Do you imagine them being like the modern the studios of the future? or I don't even begin to guess, because honestly, I, you know, 10 years ago, nobody thought this was going to happen, and five years ago, nobody thought it was going to be this big, and nobody would have imagined you know, Amazon winning an Emmy. Like All of those things feel like things that everybody said were impossible, and people are always saying things are impossible. I don't buy it. Okay. So I, I'm going to ask the intel question of economics. Mm-hmm. I feel like it has to change for creators, that you create all the, the value, and most of these networks, as, well, you get distribution and syndication, and you get paid incredibly well. You actually, like, people in Silicon Valley are owners, and therefore they get paid like owners kind of thing. Are you owning your content in this deal, or does Netflix? Or should you own your content? I'm not, going to talk, yes. I'm not going to talk about the specifics of my contract, okay. but I do think that it's important to have um, a stake mm-hmm. in what you make. Right. Um, and I think that that's been a problem since the beginning of time, mm-hmm. the way things go and the way things you know, have been happening. I also think that you know, it's like the music business. The value is taken out the minute you know, the distribution chains change, mm-hmm. and people don't remember that they need to 
plant a flag and say this is what we want out of things early enough mm -hmm. because they dismiss whether or not the industry that as it changes is valuable. You know, people say that's never going to be of any value, so they don't put it in the contracts, the writers' guild contracts or whatever. Right, right. So do you want to own your, I, I'm thinking of it as IP, I hate to call your, mm -hmm. your creativity IP, but that's what it is. I mean, I think that that is a very valuable thing for a writer to do, mm -hmm. a producer to do. So when you, the reason I'm thinking about it is because I interviewed Jill Soloway about Transparent, and mm -hmm. she was working on her next contract, and I said, you should get a piece of the paper towels. And she was like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, their market value went up because of Transparent, Prime went up because of Transparent, they're selling more paper towels because of Transparent. You should get the paper towel money, some a piece of the paper towel money. And she never thought about it like that. And then she's oh. like, I need a piece of the paper towels. And I said, of course you do. And I'm sure I caused a lot of problem up at Amazon, but I don't care. <laughs> but the question is, do you, what do, you, do you imagine that, I think of you as an entrepreneur, that's why I'm wondering, is that how you, is that how enough Hollywood people think of themselves as entrepreneurial? No, I definitely think of myself as, a, as more of a businesswoman now. Mm -hmm. And I've had to simply because I've had to learn what's important and what's not in terms mm -hmm. of not getting not getting screwed financially. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of people in this town who don't know what the value of their work is. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of people who get screwed over easily mm -hmm. by not knowing. And so for me, it was about figuring out what was important to me, how to grow. It's very obvious, you know, Disney's made $2 billion, basically, as far as I'm concerned. I think that's the right number yeah. on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. And Do you I have don't any? have $2 billion. Do you have one? No. Okay. Um, and Some it, jackass in Silicon Valley it's has It's the one. first television show I ever made, so imagine the deal on the first television show you ever made. Mm -hmm. um, but it is, it was important to me to plant a flag and get a stake and, mm -hmm. and build that up and learn mm -hmm. really quickly. Can you get, get to me why you think that is? Because I, I have theories about why it is, because I do think a lot of people in Hollywood, as highly paid as they are, they get the plane, they send the plane for them, they send the nice flowers after the Emmys, and they end up not owning. That's what, you know, the idea of like not, you've created a lot more value than you've been paid for. Yeah, there's a lot of value in what you do. And honestly, you know, if I, there was a moment in time when I think I had the flu, or I was, I think it was the flu, or I was on jury, I was like in line for jury duty, mm -hmm. and there was a true concern that an entire night of television would not go on the air. Now think about that. I had the flu or it was jury duty and mm -hmm. I, the television wouldn't go on the air because I wasn't gonna finish the cut or I wasn't gonna figure this out or like things weren't gonna happen in time. Mm -hmm. For, you know, it was not that time. It was like we were gonna be late for things. Mm -hmm. And I kind of sat back and thought, well, I'm definitely more valuable than I think I am. Yeah you know, that I've been thinking, and I really need to rethink this and give it some real thought. Right, right. I have an exercise where I, I essentially kill off everyone in a room and figure out who's left, and that's the person I focus on, and it's usually just me. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, I'm gonna try that. Yeah, you should, because you'll always be just you. It'll be just you. All right, so let's talk about that idea of getting um, the way the Hollywood power structure is. You just interviewed Michelle Obama? Yes, yes. How'd that go? It was she brought fun. it there. She really was quite. She is very candid she and very candid. Fun to talk yeah. to. Yes. What did you think about that? I enjoyed it. You know, I really like talking to her because she does say what she thinks. She's very clear about where she is. You know, in terms of what she's thinking about, what's going on, and she doesn't play games. No, not at all. But one of the things she said that was I thought was very uh, to me of all the things I, I watched the whole thing was the part about getting having a voice and standing up or get out of the seat and mm -hmm. it. 
let's talk about those seats. Um, earlier, Ava DuVernay was talking about using, not liking the word diversity, because she doesn't know what that means, but she does know what the term not being included is, or inclusion, right. stuff like mm -hmm. that. So how do you imagine, because one of the things that, I think we talked about this earlier, every year, Hollywood is shock, 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 that shows with African-American slash gays slash transgender is interesting to people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh my God. They're stunned to discover. More stunned to discover this is. So on one level, I think, can it be racism or are they just stupid? Um, so both, both can apply. It often goes together. Um, in fact, it always goes together. But what do you imagine? Why, how, you've created shows with all kinds of different people as stars, as the focus and different things like that. Why is that? You know, it's always going to be that way. If you think about the fact that every time a female-driven movie comes out and it does well, mm -hmm. there is just shock that, you know, people went to see a movie about women and they were funny. Or people went to see a female-driven movie, movie and it was an action movie and people went to see it. Mm -hmm. And, oh, my God, black people are on television and people are watching. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how often that happens. And I... I really do think you should be asking the people for whom it happens, mm -hmm. because it's impossible for me to tell you what is going on in their minds. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do, you do you imagine changing that? I mean, do I imagine changing the fact that they don't seem to, like that for them it's Groundhog Day every day? Yeah, yeah. That is a nice, polite way of putting it. <laughs> I would just say they're assholes, but go ahead. <laughs> Move you may say that. Okay. I, I really don't know how you fix it for them. Mm -hmm. I don't. I mean, it's, it's an obvious fact to me that the world looks like the world looks, which is certainly not, I don't walk out in the world and see just a sea of white men. Mm -hmm. That is not how the world looks to me, and it's right. certainly not interesting. Right. Um, but they do somehow, or they believe they do, mm -hmm. and that is how they work. Maybe it's just a bunch of all-white journalists or something. Mm -hmm. So how do you, do you imagine changes, or do you not care to change, just create your own things? Yeah, I mean, I think the only way you change it is by continuing to create content that makes what they're saying sound stupid. Is there anything else to improve? It's just a big deal right now in Silicon Valley. There's a lot of stories yes. on this issue. Well, in Silicon Valley, there is a problem. Yes, yes, there it's is. It's very different than here. Yes. There's a, I mean, there's a problem here, but there's a really big problem in Silicon Valley, I mm -hmm. think. And there's work to be done, and there's work to be done here, obviously. But that just comes from giving people more opportunities and from people recognizing the problem, which is probably why a lot of journalists spend time writing about it, because mm -hmm. they know that every time they do, maybe somebody gets an opportunity. An opportunity. Do you do anything different to, to create, to make that happen? Does a black woman do anything different to make sure that there's inclusion? Like, and I, and I, I don't think it, you should have to. No, I say it like that because... Right. I don't sit around having to think deeply, like, are we including people? Because that doesn't have anything to do. Like, I don't sit around thinking, like, I better get a lot of white people, mm -hmm. or I better get a lot of people of color, or I better right. get a lot of, right. like, it, my world doesn't work that way because right. I'm a person who's not included. So, you know, and generally, like, a person who looks like me would not be included. So my world doesn't function on the matter of me having to think carefully about making mm -hmm. sure people are included. People get included because people get included. It, it's right. People of color are in my office. People who are gay or straight are in my office. People of all you know, sexual persuasions are in my office. People of all genders are in my office. It doesn't come up mm -hmm. in that same way because I'm not 
not including people. Right, that I got sense. that, in your thing. When you think about that idea of, I, I agree with you, like when Wonder Woman happened, everyone was like, I cannot believe this, mm -hmm. and it was like, it was a good movie, right? Like, I think yeah. it was just a good movie. Still making them does make a difference, or do you not think that, I mean? No, I do think making them makes a difference. I also just think there's a problem with the idea that a movie is a movie if it stars a white guy. Mm -hmm. But if it stars a woman, it's a female-driven movie. And if it stars a black person, it's a black film. Or, you know, that's, there's, there's something inherently ignorant about that. We're going to take another quick ad break now. We'll be back in a minute with Shonda Rhimes. This show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them. In fact, more than 80% of the jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate through the site in just one day. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. I also want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. Hey, uh, just wait a couple minutes. I'm trying to freeze my credit over here. <laughs> Every Friday, we answer your questions about consumer tech. Lauren, what did we talk about this week and who did we talk to? We heard you loud and clear. And this week, we answered all of your questions about the Equifax hack. Uh, but we didn't do it ourselves. We brought in well-known investigative journalist and cybersecurity researcher, Brian Krebs. Brian, what's your three-second takeaway from the podcast this week? What do people need to know? Be vigilant. Freeze your credit. And try not to get too cynical in the process. I think that's a note for Kara. <laughs> I'm very sorry. <laughs> I think you're screwed. Everyone, you're screwed. Anyway, it was a great discussion, and I like that Brian still has hopes that we are not completely digitized out of existence. Um, <laughs> and we hope you'll go listen to it. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. Now back to my interview with Shonda Rhimes at the Vanity Fair New Establishment Summit. Well, let's get that, something else Michelle Obama said, and then I want to talk about Shondaland and yes. what you're trying to do with that. She talked about standards. Yes. Which I have to say, one of the things, I've been railing against boards up in Silicon Valley. They're all white men, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I've been, and when you go to push them, like, why don't they have more women on these boards, especially since 50% of the people that use the internet, it's a, it's a very diverse internet, people using mm -hmm. the internet. They always pull out the word standards. Well, we have standards. And I'm always like, well, you didn't have standards when you hired those 10 idiot men who drove the company into a wall. So how is it that standards are missing? Well, the word standards is only brought up with women and people of color, or age, or something like that. There's always that word comes up. Mm -hmm. So talk about that concept of like standards. Like, what does that mean? That is a very large topic. I do think that you know, there are standards that people should meet, and I do know that they've done all kinds of studies that every time they're looking for people to meet standards, women of color and well, people of color and women in general most often meet those standards in hiring practices, mainly because they have to mm -hmm. um, on a higher level to even be in the room. 
So it's not really about standards. It's about hiring the guy who you feel most comfortable with, who looks right. like you. Right, and you, they were talking about moving the standard bar yeah, back. But what she forth. was saying, she was really talking about you know, public opinion. Right, that it moves up, you have to meet a that, higher That every standard. time she would hit a bar um, that she felt was like, this is how people are supposed to behave, that bar would move. Right, right, absolutely. All right, so the reason I want to talk about this is because you were talking also about voice, and it's important to have a voice. Explain what you're doing with Shondaland, because that's a way to reach out to your audiences and have your own relationship with them. So what is, what is happening there? So, you know, I started the website Shondaland.com, which is really just a place to have articles and videos and a lot of really interesting writing going on that is a conversation. And it's not, you know, it's not a lifestyle site. Like mm -hmm. I always say, we don't give you lifestyle on the site, we give you life. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm not interested in a lifestyle site. There's not going to be a lot of beauty tips and nobody's going to tell you what color lipstick to wear. Mm -hmm. it's, it's articles about what to do about, you know, immigration. And if you're, you know, feeling interested about, you know, almost anything that you can talk about that feels important to you is discussed on the site, which mm -hmm. has been great. I did an interview with Billie Jean King. We're doing an interview. I'm doing an interview with Michelle Obama at some point. Mm -hmm. Like, there'll be the interesting things going on. And what I love about it is that it is a place not just for fans of the shows, mm -hmm. but for any of the people who sort of live in the universe of thinking about things in a much more inclusive way, to enjoy themselves, to read, to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And what do you, what, is it just to have it? Why did you, a lot of people have started, I mean, Lita Dunham did one, they're mm -hmm. all, what, what's the goal for you? It's been interesting, you know, as, as a business owner, people keep asking me, like, what's the goal, what's the goal, what's the yeah. goal? And when Hearst picked it up and started, you know, saying yeah. distributing them on their things, they were like, well, that was the must have been the goal. There is no goal in that sense. The goal is to give people a voice. Mm -hmm. The goal is to have a voice that's out there that feels relevant and different and available, mm -hmm. really. And then where do you want to go with this, something like that? Right now, I want to see where we go. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it'll be interesting. You know, there is a place for you know, small bits of content on it in terms of video content, but I don't know that that's what's as interesting to me as the written word, which doesn't mm -hmm. really have a place to exist very much anymore as we move forward. Right, so how do you get people interested? I mean, you have, again, you have a 15-year-old, you have young kids. How do you imagine getting them interested in that? I think I'm fortunate in that we have, you know, I have an audience of followers that is 12 to 75, mm -hmm. and they are interested in what we have to say. Mm -hmm. And I like to take advantage of that in a good way mm -hmm. and use it to draw them in. And it really is about talking to all of them. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing that's happening right now is we're having these cultural conversations, but the conversations are happening, you know, people are over here or people are over here, and that's it. And I don't think our audiences are that way. It's very interesting. You know, people, you know, we have grandmothers who are deep, dark Republicans, and we have, you know, teenagers who are incredibly liberal, and they're all on the same site, and they're all reading this stuff. Mm -hmm. And some of them don't like it, and some of them love it, and some of them have things to say, but they're all there. You know, there's the same people who write me and say, I'm never watching your show again. And like I said last week, I won't be watching it again next <laughs> week. You do, you, do you, like, call them? No. You should no. do that. I'm not going to call you anybody. You should. You should go, hi, this is Shonda. Why not? <laughs> I like that they have the right to have an opinion, right. you know, and I like that they have the right to say, like, I hate you, and I hate your show, and how dare you do that, and then they come back. So you're a nice mogul. I wouldn't be one. Um, <laughs> but I would call them and just mess with There's them all the time. There's room for everybody. I know. That's true. There's room for It's true. Um, but w when you're talking about that idea of voices for everyone, one of the problems on these platforms, like, and you 
presumably you're building a platform, correct? Mm -hmm. Is that what you yes. call it? Yes. A you're now a platform company, Shana mm -hmm. is. You have to monitor it, you have to run it. There's all these problems now at Facebook and other places of what happened to their platforms and who's controlling them. Separate, I don't assume you're gonna have any issues with Russian ads, but, <laughs> but when you think about that divisiveness, they have created that. They, mm -hmm. th they're the, social media, as I said yesterday, has become highly weaponized. How do you then bridge that? If you're talking about there's a grandmother this, and she's not going to watch your show again, but then she does. Well, we have yet to open it up to the comments. We've had a lot of talks about this. We've, yeah. only, been, we've only been going since September 18th. Yeah. So we've yet to open up all of our comments and our discussion parts because we've really been talking about how to do that and how to do it well yeah. and responsibly because it is getting worse out there, I think. Yeah. And especially when it feels like there's going to be a change in how that's talked about and looked at. You know, Congress is looking at how it's all working. Yeah. I want to see how that plays out. So do you, why do you, why do you, what do you imagine will bring that divisiveness? If people do all watch your show of different kinds, you can talk about that. I mean, mm -hmm. How do you look at how these different cultural conversations are going on and splitting really dramatically? I mean, I think... Um, well, I'm using everybody else's social platforms right now to right. look at that. It's very interesting to see, mm -hmm. you know, what's been going on on Twitter and what's going on on Facebook and what's going on, you know, everywhere with mm -hmm. the conversations that are going on about those so things. Tell me about Twitter. You're quite good at Twitter. You're quite good at the Twitter. I don't know if you can be good at Twitter. You are. You are. I'm sorry to tell you you are. But some are terrible at Twitter. Some are good and terrible at the same time, like Donald Trump. He's quite good at it um, in a bad way. But he's good at it. Um, how do you think of that? How do you think of Twitter? What do you... What do you use it for? I think I used to use it more as a way of talking to the people who watch the shows. Mm -hmm. um, that was when I discovered that a lot of the people on Twitter were 14 mm -hmm. years old. Mm -hmm. um, because I would be highly insulted by some of the things that were said and I would get very angry and very mm -hmm. up in arms about What got things. you real mad? Well, it just, you know, just the sort of the way they would speak about people. And I would be like, don't you think that in seven years a character would change? And I would get very deeply offended. <laughs> and then... And then you realize you're arguing then with one a day, Russian bot. Somebody, right? No, then one day somebody said, you can't talk to me like that. I'm only 12. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, how many of you guys... And, and we were having this big conversation. I said, how many of you guys are under 15? And they all were. Uh-huh. And I was stunned. I was like, mm -hmm. this is what's going on here. Because I, I, I had this theory that people were shut-ins or something, and <laughs> they all had plenty of time on their hands. Right. No, they were 12-year-olds. Yeah. They were kids, right. which gave me a real insight into what we were doing, basically, which is shaping their minds and shaping their thought patterns and what was okay and what wasn't. Uh -huh. And that's awesome when you're sending people off to medical school and they're telling you they became doctors because of you, but it's uh -huh. not awesome when they're saying they're going to kill themselves if Cali and Arizona break up because you made them know that they were gay and it was okay. Right. You know, it's a problem. Right. So there's a giant responsibility there. But it does feel useful in the sense that you can, you know, get articles out. Right. You can get um, helpful information out. We, I push a lot of information out that's sort of just about what's going on in the world. I'm trying to get people to think politically. Mm -hmm. I push a lot of rage out about Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. um, I've noticed that. Yeah, it's very hard not to. Mm -hmm. And for a while, I really used it so that I, you know, if I had something to say and I had something I wanted to think about, I did not have to, you know, put out a press release or go have a long conversation, you know, in an interview, um, which may or not may not be, have been helpful, but it mm -hmm. did make me feel better. Right. Where do you imagine that evolving? Do you use Facebook differently or same? Um, or? Yeah, Facebook has been very interesting because there's a lot of you know, ability to do video, to mm -hmm. have a conversation with your fans. I've done you know, live Q&As and things like that. 
I haven't decided if they're all going to become more useful or far less useful. Mm -hmm. there, there is a feeling for a lot of people that pulling away from all of those is much more comforting mm -hmm. than it is to be on them. Like mm -hmm. I spend a lot less time on social media than I used to. Mm -hmm. And I know that people think it's far you know, more important, and yet I don't think it is. Mm -hmm. you know, everybody reports what's on social media that's important. So in a weird way, you don't have to follow it as closely mm -hmm. as you did before when, it, when you had to be like there to see what was happening in the instance. Now, I can find out what Donald Trump said on Twitter just by walking around. It's mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it's not as urgent to be in the know and on, and on the sites. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to end by talking a little bit about how you feel about the current environment. You know, you, have you ever thought about running for office? They no. asked Bob Iger, so I'm going to ask you. Yeah, no. Why? Because you can't write while running for office. No, I know that, but that, then you do that job. No. No, because... No. Because you can't write while okay. being <laughs> in office. Well, you could almost do anything now. I think the rules are all off on the president it's thing. It's just not interesting to me. Right, right. <laughs> the rules are off. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it is a job that I would take very, very seriously. Yeah. And therefore, you know, I'm a type A person. I would work really hard to do it really well. And mm -hmm. then, you know, they all age super fast. And uh -huh. I feel like they, you know, you get to be president and they show you the vampires in the basement and that's it for you. <laughs> that uh, sounds like a great Shonda Rhimes show. <laughs> no. Vampires in the basement of the White House. Maybe. Okay. But, you know, that respect isn't being given to the, the office right now. And so to me, it's not a place I, I just, I would take it too seriously. Do you feel yourself more political? Because you are. I, I was reading some of your Twitters. And it, I don't know that I'm more political. I think that I'm as political as I've always been. I don't think that's more or less political. And frankly, I don't think a lot of the things that I have to talk about are political. I don't think it's political to be a morally decent, ethical person. Mm -hmm. That's not political. Mm -hmm. 100%. You know, it actually, that you have to say it these days is... It is political. No. no, no, no. Um, do you, so I want to finish up talking a little bit more about the concept of what, I know you can't talk specifically about what you're doing, but what do you like that's out there? The new stuff, especially in the new media. Is there things you see every day? We just got another two minutes. What do you see that you really like? That you uh, go, oh, in cool. Terms of, in terms of storytelling? Books or TVs or mo anything that you're like, oh, I would like to, that was interesting. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of what's coming up with really with the newer storytellers that are out there. I'm mm -hmm. a big fan of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of Insecure. I'm a big fan of, you know, things that feel fresh. There's a lot of, interestingly enough, there's a lot of plays that I'm interested in seeing and watching and knowing about that feel much more relevant than anything because they're just fresh voices. Mm -hmm. You know, I've spent a lot of time um, trying to really get invested in the um, the arts community in LA because it feels like, you know, the arts are being devastated by what's going on in Washington and that feels like an important place and that feels like a, where a lot of fresh storytelling comes from in the first place. Mm -hmm. So it's things like that. That you're looking at. Yeah, that I'm looking at and being inspired by. Mm -hmm. And the last question, I ask this of everyone I, I interview. I, sometimes I ask, what would you like Silicon Valley to invent? But I don't feel like that's a good one here. Although if you have something, please go ahead. But you're an entrepreneur and I always ask them, what's something that you failed at that you don't have to have a learning lesson in it or anything else, but something that you did that was like, ah, I did that and then I either repaired it or I just, that was the way it was. And what did you, because you are an entrepreneur. In I am an entrepreneur. What is something that I failed at? And I don't, I'm not pausing because it, it sounds ridiculous that I'm pausing, but I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I have gone on a path that's very different than most people's. 
I think in terms of trying to put together our first set of shows that weren't written by me, we made a lot of mistakes, and that's because I think power is not power if you don't know you have it. And I don't think I realized how much power we had in the beginning when we were sort of building the beginning of Shondaland and like adding new shows that weren't written by me and me understanding how much power I had to protect the other artists that we were working with. And I learned from that really quickly. And it was a really powerful lesson to discover where my power lie and was laying and what I could do with it. Mm-hmm. And if you were, I don't know how old you are, if you were 22 years old right now, what would you do? Exactly what I've done. Exactly what you've done. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to look at it any other way. I like to write. I like to tell stories. I love the idea that I have learned to build businesses. I'd probably be in a cabin somewhere, you know, writing novels if I didn't have this entrepreneurial spirit, but I do. I think I would do exactly what I've done and maybe, maybe have done it faster so that there could be more of okay, us. But, yeah. but no, so there'd be more writers out there who feel like more women writers, more women of color who feel like they have a voice. All right, on that, Shonda Rhimes. Thank you. Thanks again to Shonda Rhimes for joining me on stage, and thank you to the team at Vanity Fair's new Establishment Summit for hosting us. If you enjoyed this interview and are new to Recode Decode, then you should subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or just visit recode.net slash podcasts. And make sure to check out our other podcast. Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media, where he talks to the smartest and most interesting people in the media world. Lauren Good and I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, where we answer all of your embarrassing questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you'll find audio from Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Cadence 13, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thank you to our producer, Eric Johnson. And here's some good news. We'll have a bonus episode of Recode Decode for you this Wednesday. Tune in then. If you're looking for a new podcast to binge listen to this fall, you should check out Vanity Fair's Inside the Hive, hosted by Nick Bilton, who is a personal friend of Kara Swisher's. Nick takes you inside the rooms where the world's most interesting and influential decisions are made for candid conversations with the leading minds in tech, politics, and culture, including yours truly. He finds out what motivates them, how they make their decisions, what keeps them up at night, where they get their ideas from, and where they think their industry is going. Wait, this sounds like Recode Decode. Well, it's an excellent show anyway. First listen to Recode Decode, but then you can listen to Nick's fantastic show, Inside the Hive. New episodes come out every Friday on Apple Podcasts, VF Hive, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Dan Fromer, Editor-in-Chief at Recode. I'm here to tell you about a new project we just launched, the Recode 100, and ask for your help. We're trying to make a list of the people in the tech and business worlds who made the biggest impact this year, the winners of 2017. Executives, entrepreneurs, movement starters, designers, whoever, primarily in tech media and commerce, but also some of our new focus areas like transportation, policy, and robotics. We'll unveil the full list and throw a big party for the winners later this year, but for now, we need your nominations. So if you know someone who kicked ass this year or is a rising star in their field, head to recode.net slash submit by Monday, October 16th to nominate someone and for more information. That's recode.net slash submit.